Turning into Jumpy Ellie's basketball show Hosted by a guy called Jumpy Ellie Tuning into Jumpy Ellie's basketball show At JumpyEllie.com Good morning everybody, this is another edition of the Passball Show Brought to you by JumpyEllie.com By St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey By two ways, one Tasha's food truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania As always Handful of topics we're going to get into today in the world of baseball, sports, and unified America. Uh, Curly Lambeau is going to make his way into my top 10 pro football head coaches in history. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about his accomplishments and where he ends up in my list. Um, you also have a possibility in Cleveland with uh, Kareem Hunt over 700 yards with enough games to go for five games scheduled and the rest of the NFL season. A very good chance of getting 1,000 yards, joining his teammate Nick Chubb, doing something that has not been done too often in the history of the National Football League. But we're going to start today talking about free agency baseball and probably a misconception that's out there that exists from a fan base that really is positive right now, is very happy, is overjoyed and excited because they have a new owner. They, their previous owner, Fred Wilpon, with his son Jeff, are out of the mix. And if you're a fan of the New York Mets in regards to baseball, you probably couldn't be any more excited about that happening alone. But with that comes a little bit of the drinking of the Kool-Aid and the ability to believe every last bit of what it is that you hear. How a catcher for five seasons was a starter for the Detroit Tigers, played at a below replacement level, is the best option for the team to sign going forward. And every excuse is going to be made why James McCann makes sense for the New York Mets to sign. Personally, I'd rather watch as the publicity and the hype goes up for this guy and he continues and continues to be more overrated and let other teams overbid and overpay for this player. Because if I'm going to start my offseason with an owner that you know is worth more and has more money than any other owner in the rest of the sport, I'm not going to enjoy and celebrate the signing of a mediocre player. And sometimes the first major move that a team makes is a sign of what could be expected of that team going forward. And as a New York Mets fan, I'm sorry, I'm going to take a couple moments off from being a talk show host, from being a historian, from being a person that's covering the entire sport and the entire world of sports. I'm going to be a fan for a second. And I'm going to tell you this. I'm tired of celebrating mediocrity. I'm tired of seeing a team go out for the second best players. I'm tired of seeing a team either shop on a bargain rack or settle for somebody that needs somebody to explain that they are really good and they're better than what the numbers say. Do we need to go any further and talk about James McCann? James McCann was the backup catcher for the Chicago White Sox last year. Had an above-average offensive season playing in about 33% of the games as a starter. He was Yasmani Grandal's backup. 
Yes, he made an all-star team in a breakout season a year before. But prior to that, had five years as a starting catcher for the Detroit Tigers and was below replacement level. He had a chance to play every day on a team that was going nowhere. Nobody threatening his job. And very few other players were very good on that team that he could have kind of stood out. He didn't. And we're going to put him on this mantle like he's the next coming of Johnny Bench or Yogi Berra or Thurman Munson. You look back in a great history of New York Mets catchers, and we could start with Mike Piazza. We could talk about Gary Carter. We could talk about Jerry Grody. Even Paul LaDuca is worth bringing up. Does James McCann belong in the same breath as any of those catchers? Now, personally, I'd say go after J.T. Realmuda. Now, the narrative is that if you sell low or buy low on a catcher, you settle for something less in regards to talent, ability, and track record, then maybe you'll go out there and be able to sign some other big free agents, maybe make a trade for Francisco Lindor. And you know what? If it comes down to it, if the Mets end up with a great offseason based off of other really good players, then I'll accept the James McCann signing. But stop trying to convince me and anybody that isn't looking at James McCann's 249 batting average and is below 100 career OPS plus and saying that that's not an all-star catcher. That's not that much of a considerable upgrade over Wilson Ramos. Now, we know Wilson Ramos' defensive shortcomings. Now, that needs to be mentioned. That's something that is a reason why the Mets didn't pick up his third-year option. And you know what? He was a little disappointing last year. Thought was, when Wilson Ramos was signed, that from an offensive standpoint, he'd be able to hit himself through and past any defensive shortcomings. That didn't work out. And you look back at a team last year, that pitching staff struggled so bad, you'd like to have a catcher that you could trust is going to be able to help that pitching staff and make that pitching staff better. Perhaps that could happen a little bit with James McCann. But are you really going out there thinking that four years is a good deal for James McCann? Four years and anything over $30 million? Seems like a ripoff to me. It's a below-average offensive catcher who can play some okay defense, and he's still got JT Realmuto sitting out there. He's, and, and these same fans, the same fans are going to tell you that the owner has all the money that he needs to to spend and is not going to shy away from paying a player, all of a sudden are going to cite the amount of money that a player is going to ask for in a contract. You're a hypocrite. All of a sudden, you don't want to pay JT Realmuto. Well, listen, there's other options out there, and they're not named James McCann. So we're going to sit here and overhype this guy, and I'll tell you, the Mets sign him, I promise you he's going to be a disappointment. And you know how you guys are going to know that he's a disappointment? Because I'm going to be up your ass every day reminding you that James McCann is an underwhelming player. He's a below-average Major League Baseball player, and he's a below-replacement-level offensive player over the course of his career. 
If you think Real Muto costs too much money or if you're going to allow yourself to get outbid in the sweepstakes when it comes to JT Real Muto, you can make a trade with the Boston Red Sox for Christian Vasquez. You can make a trade with the Chicago Cubs for Wilson Contreras. You can make a trade with the Cleveland Indians for Austin Hedges. You can make a trade with the Kansas City Royals for Salvador Perez. All players that are not on long-term contracts, all players that you could take a legitimate look at, and if they turn out to be something that you expect them to be, you could extend them over the course of time. And if you want to hit the free agent market, I'm sorry. You know, Kurt Suzuki, Tyler Flowers on one-year deals in a platoon-type situation is just as good as James McCann. I'll tell you that. Now, I'm not going to tell you it's better. No. But the thought is is that James McCann is the next friggin' Mickey Cochran. I think you're, you're exaggerating a little bit. And a lot of it is you just simply sitting there and listening to what you're being told to listen to. Somebody says James McCann might not be a horrible signing. All of a sudden, you start loving James McCann. This guy, over the course of his career, has been a tremendously underperforming player. And it's not like catchers go out there and dominate offensively. It's not like there's a whole laundry list of catchers that are hitting 280 or above. But we're going to sit here and anoint James McCann the next friggin' Gary Carter, and he's not. He's not the next Yogi Berra. He's not the next Roy Campanella. He's not the next Josh Gibson. Is an average and ordinary catcher that when it comes down to it, his agent des- deserves agent of the year for how he's marketed this player to be many times better than he really is. And like some have said, I may come off as a, I don't know, a negative Nancy. And I'm excited about the offseason as a Mets fan. You know, it'd be nice if you'd find out that the Mets hired a general manager. You know, obviously it hasn't been as easy to do as it was expected. Sandy Alderson is out there making the moves that he's going to make with the support of the owner, Steve Cohen. But a, a signing of James McCann, is that guaranteeing you, George Springer? Because I think the Toronto Blue Jays are going to push pretty hard to bring Springer in. And there's going to be other suitors. And if you go out there and you say James McCann is the second best catcher on the market, which I don't even necessarily agree with, after getting Trevor May, which was a very good signing, but he clearly was, the second best pitcher on the free agent market. He wasn't Liam Hendricks. Is that going to be the, the theory for the rest of the offseason? Jake Gautarisi, second best pitcher among starting pitchers behind Trevor Bauer. You're going to sign him too? Manuel Margot, maybe the second best center fielder, not named George Springer. You're going to go sign him too? You can have a nice offseason signing all the second best players, but for a franchise that has celebrated mediocrity like none other that I've ever seen. You figured you like to go out there and make a splash. 
And I'll take some of this back if the Mets go out there and they sign Bauer and they sign Springer. They trade for Lindor. If they do two of those three, I'll take back the majority of what I'm ranting about right now. Back in 1998, in the offseason, after the Mets acquired Mike Piazza, there was some debate over whether Piazza was going to be re-signed by the Mets. Nelson Doubleday kind of overrode Fred Wilpon, who didn't want to do it. But imagine if the Mets settled at the time for a lesser catcher. Let's say the Mets signed Joe Girardi instead of Mike Piazza. Do you think 99 would have been 99? Do you think 2000 would have been 2000? you think Mike Piazza really becoming the second best player in the history of the New York Mets franchise, you think that would have happened if the Mets settled for second best? I think there's an opportunity this offseason for the Mets to go out there and get JT Real Muto, who, by the way, is more than a year younger than James McCann. He's the better player. He's an all-star. He's a Silver Slug Award winner. He's a genuine offensive catcher who is every bit as good defensively, if not better, than James McCann. And I think when you have the opportunity, when opportunity strikes to get the better player, especially when you have an owner who's willing to spend, is not going to let money get in the way like you're used to if you're a fan of the New York Mets for the last several years. You go out there and you get the best player. You don't sit here with these side discussions trying to convince people that are looking at numbers. I'm looking right at James McCann's numbers, and I know that the guy is not any good. So stop with these side arguments and coming up with these brand new baseball stats that have never existed before to tell me why James McCann is any good. If I'm looking to win, that's not the player that I'm building my team around. I say sign JT Real Muto. If not, you make a trade for Christian Vasquez, for Salvador Perez, for Wilson Contreras, for Austin Hedges. And you know what? I'd settle for signing Kirk Casale at this point. Because at least it's not going to cost me four years. And a frustration that comes out of me as a fan is the celebration of mediocrity that has existed with this franchise forever. Oh, we're not making the playoffs this year, but we got a Cy Young Award winner. Not making the playoffs this year, but you know what? Looks like Pete Alonso is going to win the rookie of the year. We got a couple all-stars this year, but you know what? Team's not going to win a World Series. Do you realize that 2011 is going to be the 35th anniversary of the 1986 World Series championship team? 35 years ago was the last time the Mets won a World Series. And that would be assuming that they won in 20, uh, 2021, and there's no guarantee.
and you want to look at a list of teams that have won world that haven't won World Series championships since the Mets. There's only eight of them. The Indians, who last won in 1948, the Texas Rangers, who never won, that started play as the Washington Senators in 1961, the San Diego Padres and Milwaukee Brewers of 1969 when they started, the 1977 Seattle Mariners, which was the first year that they started playing, the 1979 Pittsburgh Pirates, the 1983 Baltimore Orioles, and the 1984 Detroit Tigers are the only teams in baseball that have had a wait longer for a World Series championship than the New York Mets, who haven't won since 1986. And you want to talk about the Colorado Rockies, who have never won. They came in the league in 1993. You want to talk about the Tampa Bay Rays, who have never won. They started in 1998. That's fine. But to, to just have a couple things to root for late in the season has become status quo for the New York Mets. And coming off a season in 2020, which very few people have even spent time talking about how much of a failure it was. Yes, the coronavirus, the truncated 60-game season. You can have every excuse in a book to justify why your team didn't get the job done in 2020. But an 86-win Mets team in 2019, where they felt the need to fire their manager... It wasn't a good year for the New York Mets organization in the baseball season of 2020. And if you think you could roll out this team, which does have a series of very talented players, and expect them to have better results, I think it's a little silly. And you tell me that you're upgrading the catching position so much with James McCann. I'm sorry, dude. There's nothing like celebrating mediocrity, like signing James McCann to be your everyday catcher. And he's going to be the symbol of what mediocrity is going to be. And for all those that like to, to, find, to find little uh, caveats in what's a lost season. Oh, a young player came up and emerged. Jose Reyes might win the batting title in 2011. Mike Piazza, all-time leader in home runs for a catcher. All happens. It all happened in losing seasons. And if that's what you want to be known for, that's fine. But aren't you a little tired of the last 35 years that have gone by without winning a World Series championship? You understand that if there's fans at the stadium, even if there isn't fans at City Field in 2021, the Mets are going to parade out the 1986 team like it's the, the city's heroes. And not to take anything away from anything they did in 1986. But you want to talk about the other 20 teams in Major League Baseball that have won a World Series championship since? 20 teams in Major League Baseball have won a World Series more recently than 1986. And you want me to name them for you? Here you go. You got the Athletics in 1989. You got the Reds in 1990. 
You got the Twins in 1991, the Blue Jays in 1993, the Braves in 1995, the Marlins in 2003, the Yankees in 2009, the Diamondbacks in 2001, the Angels in 2002, The White Sox in 2005, that's 10. The Cardinals in 2011 is, 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 is 11. You got the Phillies in 2008. The Giants in 2014. The Royals in 2015. The Cubs in 2016. The Astros in 2017. The Red Sox in 2018. The Nationals in 2019, the Dodgers in 2020. That's 20, I'm sorry, 19 other Major League Baseball teams because the Mets will be included in 20. If they're not one of the 10 that hasn't won, you know, I get it. So 19 other teams in Major League Baseball have won a World Series championship since 1986. And once again, you can go out there and you can celebrate mediocrity and you can talk about how great of a signing James McCann is. He's an average and ordinary catcher who if you pay for for four years, it's an absolute ripoff. And does that automatically guarantee you're getting George Springer? Does that automatically guarantee you're getting Trevor Bauer? You know, is Trevor Bauer sitting there saying, holy shit, the Mets are going to sign James McCann. I'm going to go sign with that team so I can play with that guy. Like I said, James McCann's agent should get a huge raise because he's made his, his you know, uh, client seem like he's the next Johnny Bench. James McCann looks like the next Yogi Berra. Mickey Cochran, Josh Gibson, Roy Campanella, Gary Carter, Carlton Fisk. Mike Piazza. He isn't. He's not any good. If you're not going to get Real Muto, I say you trade for Vasquez, for Contreras, for Hedges, for Salvador Perez. All catchers that can be had for relative respectful prices. You may have to pay a little more for Contreras. And you might have more competition. And then you have an offseason where you sign Trevor May, which is a very good signing. Couple that with Jake Odorisi instead of Trevor Bauer, James McCann instead of JT Realmuto, and Manuel Margot instead of George Springer. You have an offseason of settling for second best. Second best ain't going to win a World Series championship. And while the Mets are parading out the 1986 players like they're going to be heroes forever, at one point it would be nice before I ride off into the sunset to see the New York Mets win a World Series championship. It'd be nice to have a more recent one since 1986. And I'm sorry, I don't feel like the Mets are winning a World Series with James McCann. 
This copyright and broadcast is authorized under internet rights, granted by the World Wide Web, and is solely for the entertainment of our audience. Any publication or reproduction or other use of pictures, descriptions, and accounts of this show without the express written consent of the past ball show, JohnPLA.com and JohnPLA LLC, is prohibited. Any commercial or other use of the program, such as by charge or admission for its showing, is similarly prohibited. So it's ironic that exactly two years ago, I did a show where I was ranking the top 10 NFL head coaches in the history of the sport. And I chose to include somebody that I neglected to include over the last couple weeks. And that man is Curly Lambeau. He's got a field named after him. He has won six NFL championships as a head coach and coached the Green Bay Packers from 1921 until 1953 for 33 years. Won NFL championships when there was no playoffs. Also won three NFL championships when there was just one playoff game. Anybody that coaches for 33 years and wins as many championships deserves credit. So I try to think of my list and I, I break it down again. Bill Belichick, number one. Vince Lombardi, who eventually will be the next great Green Bay Packers head, head coach. I got his number two. Just in a short time that he coached, he solidified what winning was about. Paul Brown, who I have as number three. George Hallis is number four. Don Shula, number five. So my question, and I think this is worth discussing, where does Curly Lambeau fit in? Because I think he clearly is a top five head coach in the history of the National Football League. Do I put him at three? Paul Brown won a lot of championships, NFL championships, the AAFC championships. So maybe I could put Paul Brown three still, Lambeau four, if we're doing solely off of championships. Brown has seven, Lambeau has six. More all, both over the longevity of that of George Hallis, who you know coached forever. And maybe that's what I'll do. So my top five now is Bill Belichick, number one, Vince Lombardi, number two, Paul Brown, number three, Curly Lambeau, number four, George Hallis, number five. Now I go Don Shula, six, Chuck Knoll, seven, Bill Walsh, eight, Hank Stram, nine, and Tom Landry, ten. I want to know your opinion. Last thing we're going to hit up today is talking about a rare feat that you're going to see in the National Football League. And I say it's rare because if you talk about the change in the offensive structure of most NFL football teams, the ground and pound offenses that have had successes over the course of many NFL seasons have kind of gone by the wayside. Teams rely on a running game, but they they basically run off of their pass. They set up a successful, shorter, deep passing game and run to kind of keep the off the defense off of 
their toes. Quarterbacks are throwing short passes in place of runs. So running backs are catching the ball out of the backfield. Receiving yards are more for running backs than they've ever been before. Running yards for quarterbacks are probably higher than they've ever been with the RPOs and you know quarterbacks getting jobs behind center and under center because of their ability to move. Think of a guy like Daniel Jones with the Giants. Takes over for Eli Manning, who was that prototypical pocket passer. Daniel Jones may be able to do a lot of things that Eli Manning could do, but the one thing he brings to the table is his ability to run the football. The, the ability to hit a hole and go for 20, 30 yards and you know, occasionally have that 80-yard run like he did in that game against the Philadelphia Eagles. So all of this, the RPOs, the short passing games, the running backs catching balls out of the backfield has all come out of, out of, the, ex, out of, out of the expense, and sorry for fumbling over those words, of the ground and pound. So you have a chance, if you look at the Cleveland Browns this year, Nick Chubb is already well over 1,000 yards rushing despite missing a couple games. Kareem Hunt, he's got 700 yards rushing. He's got a lot of yards receiving. He really is that pass catching back out of the field. But you're looking at five games left with 300 yards to get. It's, it's pretty feasible that Kareem Hunt can gain 1,000 yards rushing. And in the history of the National Football League, there have been eight occurrences of teammates running for over 1,000 yards. And I think it's worth bringing up this year, as we've watched pro football's offenses go away from the typical running style, every offense is based off of throwing the football. And we may not see teammates with 1,000 yards rushing very often again. The first time it ever happened was 1972 when Larry Zonka of the undefeated Miami Dolphins, the only undefeated team in a Super Bowl era to win a Super Bowl, Larry Zonka ran for 1,117 yards and Mercury Morris ran for 1,000 exactly. 1976, Franco Harris ran for 1,128 yards for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Rocky Blyer ran for 1,036. 1985, the Cleveland Browns, Kevin Mack and Ernest Biner. Didn't happen again until 2006 when the Atlanta Falcons with Warwick Dunn, who ran for 1,000 yards for the fifth time in his career, and Michael Vick became the first quarterback to ever run for 1,000 yards in a season. The Falcons were teammates running for 1,000 yards. The New York Giants, two years later, Brandon Jacobs, Derek Ward, the 2009 Carolina Panthers with James Stewart and D'Angelo Williams. And last year, the NFL's MVP, Lamar Jackson, ran for 1,000 yards, and so did his teammate Brandon Ingram. Um, sorry, not Brandon Ingram. Thinking about basketball for a second. Mark Ingram, Mark Ingram Jr. So if this is the ninth occurrence in the history of the National Football League, we may be looking at something that may not happen again. A little bit of a recap of the show today. A reminder that James McCann 
is overrated. And you can just drink the Kool-Aid and just say, hey, people have told me that James McCann is good, so I'm not going to even dispute it. I'm just going to drink the Kool-Aid and believe that this catcher is great. Now, now I will take my take a couple steps back by saying that I don't think James McCann single-handedly is going to bring the New York Mets down. But I'm not going out there in 2021 with James McCann as my starting catcher feeling we got like we got a ridiculous upgrade. And I think fans are a little bit off here, especially if you're putting James McCann in the same category as JT Realmuto. If you don't want to sign Realmuto, you can make a trade for Christian Vasquez with the, the, the Red Sox, the Boston Red Sox, Chicago Cubs, Wilson Contreras. You can make a deal with the Kansas City Royals for Salvador Perez. Make a deal with the Cleveland Indians for Austin Hedges. How about take a chance with the San Diego Padres? They have a young catcher that hasn't gotten a whole lot of a chance to play in Francisco Mejia, a one-time heralded prospect. They're going to continue to talk about how great James McCann is. And if that's a sign that you're going to sign the second best option at a position, it's kind of contradictory when you got when you're bragging about the fact that your owner has the ability to outspend anybody else in baseball. I'm sure Steve Cohen didn't make his billions by settling for second best. In the business world, he went out there and got the JT Romudos. He got the George Springers. He got the Trevor Bowers. He traded for the Francisco Lindors. That's how Point 72 became one of the most lucrative industries in the entire world. He didn't do it by signing James McCann's. And Mets fans, I know, we're used to celebrating mediocrity. We're about to celebrate our last World Series championship, which was 35 freaking years ago. 35 years ago. We only talk about 10 teams in the entire sport that have had to wait longer to win a World Series championship than the New York Mets. 35 years ago. And you want James McCann. Give me Realmuto. Give me Bauer. Give me Springer. Give me Lindor. Not the second best. Spoke a little bit about 1,000-yard rushers in the history of the National Football League. Teammates to do it in the same season. We have a chance with the Cleveland Browns as they play the Tennessee Titans this weekend. Nick Chubb's already there. Kareem Hunt is on the way. Be the ninth time in the history of the National Football League you've had teammates running for 1,000 yards. Curly Lambeau, I got number four amongst the top Pro football head coaches in the history of the sport. This is the past ball show brought to you by JohnPielli.com, by St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck, located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. We'll be with you next week. Enjoy yourself. God bless you. And as always, I'll see you on the other side.